Blog Talk Radio. without white folks and be able to raise the question what is it that we're going to do independent of white people it is very very hard for us to envision a world without white people but we cannot create our own agenda until and unless we can define an agenda that can envision a world in which they don't exist now we have to wake up and come back to the reality of them but certainly when we talk about a future, we have to talk about a future from our point of view and our historical understanding of reality. Ani Sogoma, Yimhotep, Hitipu, Damanesh, Damana, Nangadeth, Majro, Habaragani, Salbona, Peace. War, war. Pan African greetings, family. This is your host, Kamal Mukesh Duhuti, and you have entered Africa's reascension. We'll start off this show as usual with a lapai or a libation, which deliberately calls upon the energies of our African gods, our African spirit forces, and the forces of those yet born to guide and bless. This endeavor. I go, I go, I go. Oh, the Makaman, and Yame, and Yame, watch, treaty of Paul, my release, on the road, Amera, Beige, and Sa. Asafia, Abasun, Abasun Pope, not a Sleep 
Medasipa, Medasibio, Mopiaso, Mone Casa, Medasinanano, you Medasinanano. The Apai or libation is an ancient practice that is still done to this nanosecond in all rural traditional areas throughout the continent. Past, present, and future become one as those of tomorrow look upon what we are doing now and drawing strength from in doing the rituals of yesterday. Again, welcome. This is your host, Kamal Makasi Tahuti, and you have entered Africa's reascension. Tonight should be a pretty good show. I think a very good show. Uh, where we get to hear and then break down the words of one of our master teachers, um, one in which the blogosphere, the blog talkosphere, uh, is sleeping on. Abajedi Shinsu Jehuti, once also known as Dr. Jacob Carruthers. Uh, but before we get into all of that, we shall bring up a few other good blog talk shows. Check out some of the archive shows for Pan-Africanism or Parish by Taj Malik. Uh, I set it up that way because he hasn't been on a little while, so... But you definitely want to uh, go ahead and create a little, uh, go ahead and register with Blog Talk and then follow his show. So once he does get started back up, by following him, you'll know when the show will be. But until he comes back, you want to definitely check out some of his archive shows, um, some powerful, powerful information from a dedicated pan-Africanist, African liberation-minded brother. Again, it's Pan-Africanism or Parish by Taj Malik, T-A-J-M-A-L-I-K. Yeah, check him out. We have Sister Iya Ajua of Wahimi Nisu Cultural Rebirth Connection. Um, Again, just like Brother Taj, she hasn't been on in a little bit. So you want to go ahead and uh, register with Blog Talk and then type in I-Y-A, next word, A-D-J-U-A, or you could type in Culture Rebirth Connections, and her show will pop up and then follow, click the follow button, and then you can be alerted via email um, when her next show will be. And until then, check out her archives as well. Um, uh, 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 Hard-hitting, no-nonsense love for her African people sister, uh, Sister Ia is, and um, she, she, she sometimes frequents our show, Africa's Reascension, so we definitely, definitely have to show the love. So check her out, Ia Ajua. With Hemi Masu, Cultural Rebirth Connections. Um, check out her archives until she comes back on live. Queen Ifama, I F A M A, 
the Truth Terrace Sundays at seven, right before this show. Uh, she straight up gives you the raw butt naked truth as she sees it and says it and breaks it down. Her shows come on Sundays at seven Eastern. Um, her commercial says six, but she's still on Central Time. Uh, so that'll be seven our time Eastern. And yeah, she just makes it plain. <laughs> Queen Ifama, I F A M A, the Truth Terrorist, Sundays at 7 p.m. And then I was trying to get over there. You definitely want to check out uh, Jacques Agboton, A G B O T O N, and his show, World Pan African Voice. Um, on Sundays as well, but at 1 p.m., um, again, another dedicated pan-African-minded, African-liberation-minded brother. Uh, he, 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 as well as Taj, is back and forth from the states to home, to states to home, back and forth from the continent over here. So um, you get some good information with boots on the ground if you will. So, yeah, check him out as well. Jacques Akhoton, A-G-B-O-T-O-N, World Pan-African Voice Sunday. He's restarted his show after a few years now. Um, Sundays, 1 p.m. And then for all information, at least right now, based on uh, how the Abbasunas put the information through Kamal, this person, you want to go and check out AfricanWorldAnalysis.com. African, with a K, WorldAnalysis, all one word, dot com. There we have uh, a link leading you back here to Blog Talk Radio, of course. Um, you have a link to trying to do a link to um, our YouTube channel, Africa's Reascension YouTube channel. Uh, you have a link to my book, How to Make a Negro Christian. Uh, 1695. You not only get the book, but on that particular page, you get to pick. Um, a free book as well, um, 15 books there to choose from. Um, and the biggest thing, or one of the big things there, I should say, is you get the links to my newsletter, African Word Analysis, that I've been doing since 2002, with a few breaks in between uh, will be coming off of a break of this year and uh, and we'll be restarting in January. And so you want to check that out, AfricanWorldAnalysis.com, the news journal of record for the uncompromising African.
So, yeah. Like I said, I'm just keeping on two things at once here. I had to. There was a lot of information for the show tonight, and I forgot one piece <laughs> of it. And luckily, Blog Talk ain't messing with me good, so we just it just uploaded, so that'll be good, so we get to add that to the discussion. Oh, wow. How's it going, everyone in the chat? <laughs> I looked away for a minute, and um, it's just me, and I look back, and the chat got a whole bunch of people in there. Hey, how's it going? Uh, so, yeah, so what we're going to do now is play a promo, and then play some music, and then get right into it. I still need to uh, set up and in this one piece that somehow I forgot that just got in there now. So during the break, I'll get all that squared away, and then we'll be squared away. Again, Africa's Reascension, your host is Kamal McCasey Tahuti, and we will be going over um, the deep well of African culture and spirituality, uh, basically a lecture analysis by Dr. Jacob Carruthers right after the break. Africa's reascension, Kamal McCasey Tahuti. As of this moment, we are at war. BlogTalkRadio.com slash Kamal301, K-A-M-A-U-301. We are at war. 760-454-1111 When are we going to, as African people, step up the dialogue? Sundays, 9 p.m. Eastern Because it's Black African Power An uncompromising, unapologetic, African-centered internet radio show Until we reestablish Africa as the preeminent value, none of those other solutions mean a doggone thing. Blogtalkradio.com slash Kamau301. K-A-M-A-U-301. If you're not about nation building, you're not about African centeredness. 760-454-1111. 760-454-1111. As of this moment... We are at war. There is no evidence that black and white races can live in close proximity to each other in peace without, without whites attempting to oppress and exterminate the black. Blogtalkradio.com slash Kamau301. K-A-M-A-U-301. What kind of God do you wish him? What's the name of it? Who taught you to praise him? Was this the God you were praying to before you were brought to these shores? Is this the religion you had before you were brought to these shores? Can you name one African God? Sundays, 9 p.m. Eastern. Blogtalkradio.com slash Kamau301. K-A-M-A-U-301. Bear with me for one minute. I have to refresh the switchboard so I can uh, get in. 
hopefully get in this new thing that I downloaded. Come on, blog talk. Don't do this to me. We are still here. <laughs> like I said, I'm just refreshing the page so we can update everything. Um, and for anyone that's had a blog or has a blog talk show, you know how glitchy it can be. Um, so please bear with me. As the glitches ensue. So Taj, when are you gonna give me a commercial for your show, man? <laughs> Okay, we might be having a bit of technical difficulties here. It says I'm still on. There we go. Okay. All right. So that is there, and I guess everyone can still hear me. So let me go ahead and throw in some music and get this squared away and get back, get this show rolled in. Cannibal, if they told you we can't do it, 
what were the first and second comings of Christianity and Islam to the continent, and how did they affect the traditional systems and life and traditional life of us Africans? Uh, he'll speak on the inclusiveness of our traditional African system versus the intolerance of the foreign systems, the foreign systems being Christianity and Islam. Um, can Africans worldwide truly be liberated without any spiritual foundations? Is atheism a viable liberatory solution for African peoples globally? Uh, and then I say, if you want to hear the entire Brothers lecture. I forgot to put that word there. Um, just go um, download that archive on 7 17 2011 entitled The Deep Well of African Culture and Spirituality. Um, I'm pretty sure because this was a two hour lecture and I've got about an hour of it chopped up and ready to go for us tonight. And so next week I had wanted to do a show on black atheism because um, that that idea, that topic has unfortunately been coming up a little bit too much for my own taste. And so I feel I need to address it head on. However, uh, we'll probably bump that show um, down a week because we'll probably end up having to do a part two of this one for the rest of the um, Kedi Shimsu Shimsu Jehudi um, lecture on the deep well of aquaculture and spirituality. So, so more than likely next week we'll finish up with this, do a part two for the rest of that talk, and then the week after that, maybe you know probably um, address this black atheism piece um, directly and head on because. Um, it's, 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 it's just being bantied around a little bit too much And the folks that are doing it are giving half-ass explanations and definitions of African spirituality Which really, really makes it sound too new agey for what it really, really is And um, And so hopefully tonight Dr. Jehudi will share again some more of the specificities of what is within traditional African spirituality, and hopefully that will then arm the listeners and the downloaders, archive downloaders, um, with some information then to be able to refute those to just want to give the nebulous, new age, soundy. Um, reductionary definitions to the longest spiritual system the planet has seen, and 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 I'm fighting myself to stay on topic because <laughs> we got a lot of stuff to cover, but there's just oh man, there's just been some stuff that's been done over the past two weeks on on different message boards that I'm a part of and different um, blog talk shows that's been going on that I really, really want to address, but uh, we're going to stay on topic. 
and focus on this. And so, so yeah, so so that's a little bit of how the schedule will be for the next few weeks. Um, we don't deal with no stinking um, European holidays around here, so so um, that's that's what the next two weeks possibly more than likely will hold. So now before. Before we do the background of Dr. Crevice, um, I wanted to play a clip that 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 lays out a, a foundational piece of Africa's reascension, that lays out a foundational piece of the lecture that we'll be talking about tonight. It's from the lecture, but I just want to specifically highlight this quote. Um, Dr. Crevis will be quoting from Dr. Clark um, on the importance of using African spirituality for liberation. And so if nothing else, we will start integrating this small but powerful quote into uh, our regular rotation so we can hear it again and again. And uh, we get repetition from everybody else's crap. It's about time we get more and more repetition from some of the good stuff. No people can be spiritually, politically, or psychologically free when they worship an image of God assigned to them by another people. The new revolution in Africa that will usher in real independence will start when Africans begin to look at all aspects of their life based upon their Categorically, 
irrefutably African and ours. But we don't want to go to those. We want to attempt to bend over expletive backwards to make something that isn't ours ours and yet be fine with not being able to get one one millionth of the success we had when we didn't know nothing about Christianity, we'll be happy. As you see, I'm a bit heated. No people. (laughs) How did Dr. Clarence break it down? Quote from Dr. Clark, no people can ever be truly liberated by, by, by focusing on and dealing with a, a, a system that was given to them by somebody else. You can't do it. And and all the little loops and the hoops and the horrible-ass scholarship that people are putting together to, to attempt to make Christianity ours ain't going to do it. Since we, for the 111 years, we have been Christians in large numbers, what type of success do we have to show for it collectively as a group of people? I'm still waiting for somebody to give me an honest-ass answer to that question. However, when you look at the system of Kemet, when you look at all the great kingdoms that we had, Uh, before some of them got Islamized. When you look at all of the long-lasting nations that that we've had, centralized and decentralized, the the, the Twa and the Sign people, um, the oldest groups of people on the planet, when you look at all of that, ain't Christian Islam nothing in it. We don't want to look at that. We don't want to reattach ourselves to that. We don't want to try to re-understand it on their own terms. No. We are stuck in this damn Christian box, and we ain't going to. So, yeah. So, let's walk through. Now, I know when we did the first, when, when, when I did the talk, the week before July 17th to build up for the 17th, I gave a little bit of background um, from my own personal knowledge on Dr. Cruz. But let's hear the more um, detailed background on Dr. Cruz, uh, Father Jedi Shimsu Jehudi. So you all who may not know, well, I know y'all folks in the chat know, but for the folks who are listening live and for the folks who are downloaded who might not know. And the reason why I keep having to say might not know is because I'm still feeling this way. Folks are sleeping on the original lecture. That's why if y'all listened last week, I said I was debating. I I knew I was going to do a lecture analysis show, but I didn't know if I was going to do it on my marimba or Baba, Baba Jetty. I went ahead and decided to do it on Baba Jetty because the downloads of this original 717 show, in my opinion, are lacking. <laughs> For the weight of the scholarship and the weight of the African love that, that, that comes from Father Jedi Shinsu Jehudi, the downloads of his particular lecture of that day aren't, aren't 
aren't um, equal to the weight that he brought to uh, our scholarship and us moving forward and us being where we are now. And so I decided to do a show specific, do this show with on his lecture so that folks can hope folks will see what they missed from not downloading the whole lecture and then go back and download the whole lecture. And so and we'll and we will at some point do one of these for um Sister Marimba on me, but it seems like more folks know her, revere her, and that's fine and she deserves all of that. But um Baba Carruthers deserves it too. <laughs> um ancestor now Carruthers deserves it too. And 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 I'm gonna do what I can in my power to uh, expose him to uh, a larger listening base. So let's let's hear the sister break down um, his background and what he's contributed um, as far as books and teaching and other stuff like that. Of the essence of African spirituality. Dr. Jacob Carruthers was born and raised in Texas. There he received his undergraduate degree and a master's in government from Texas Southern University. He has a doctorate in political science from the University of Colorado, and he is currently a professor of inner city studies at Northeastern Illinois University. Most important, however, he is a founding director of the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilization. He was our first national president, and he served three glorious terms. And he continues to be the rock on which this organization stands. He is also a founding member and director of the Comedic Institute in Chicago. Brother Jake is a renowned scholar, author, lecturer, and a spiritual leader and teacher. He has an insightful connection with the Divine Ones, our ancestors. He understands their instructions, and he interprets and communicates them to us with such clarity that he is clearly the Divine Speaker of this speech and the divine thinker of these four. And he speaks with an ease and an elegance that can only come from his soul, from the God within him. He is author of many articles, essays, and several well-known books. One, The Irritated Gene, which is Essays on the Haitian Revolution. He is author of Metanature, a book of divine speech is the historiographical reflection of African deep thought from the time of Pharaoh to the present. Dr. Clark stated that Professor Carruthers has helped us sharpen our tools for the intellectual battles of the present and the future. And, of course, his latest work of genius, Intellectual Warfare, which April Hilliard stated demonstrates the kind of thinking that is required of Africans in order to be free. He is an humble man, one who always asks 
not much be said. And what was left out of that is uh, because he gave the lecture series around it, but um, he became an ancestor on January 4th, 2004, the Gorian calendar. And, and as I've mentioned before, I got a chance to spend um, a big chunk of my time when I was in Chicago with him. He humbly let me sit in on, at that point, his last um, academic classes. Um, and and I got to sit at his feet, and I got to see why he so rightly was given the title uh, of master teacher by the way he delivered the class. And so, um, yeah, that was earlier in 2000. I left Chicago about 2002, and so from 2000 to 2002, uh, I got a chance to... Uh, he had the comedic institute and, and talk with him and chop it up with him and stuff like that. And so that was a very, very good time. Very, very good time. Peace. Peace, peace, hold up. How's it going? How's it going? So, yeah, so that's a little background of um, Dr. Carruthers. Um, again, for... For folks that want to get a, 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 a detailed understanding specifically of the comedic system, the, the, the comedic um, origin system, stories, and stuff like that, you want to pick up his book, Medinature, Divine Speech, um, there's so much that's in that book. Um, it's, it, it's, it's even hard to just encapsulate <laughs> how much um, deep, 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 deep information is in that book and how he breaks down uh, the, the, the creation of those first eight, um, how, how he interprets the comedic origin stories. Um, and then he juxtaposes that with um, the Greeks. And then at the end of the book, he was one of the few people, even few still now, who, uh, one, could read the Medinetra, but then two, who would go in and, and retranslate them, you know, because most of the translations we get are from Lick Time or Faulkner or Budge or whatever, whatnot. And while some of those are good, you know, they can't fully throw them out the water, they still don't have... Um, an African base coming when they were um, translating some of the words. And so, again, by being able to sit in his class and by having him know the language and then retranslate certain key phrases or certain passages with an African mind, you get a different feel for certain things. And so within the last um, part of Medinature Divine Speech, he goes back through um, some of the more popular um, comedic stories like the shipwrecked sailor and the, the quote-unquote eloquent peasant and some of the other ones, and he re-looks at those from an African-centered framework, and he then applies those stories to us today. 
and 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 for all of the thousands of people, black folks who are out there claiming Kenneth, talking about Clement, Kenneth, um, I don't hear enough of them breaking it down and making that four thousand a gold year wisdom practical for right this very moment. And 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 Master Teacher um, Jehudi was was excellent at doing that. And so his, his book, Mother Nature, Divine Speech, is a must for a whole, whole bunch of different reasons. And um, those are just three of them. Um, again, Intellectual Warfare, which was the last full book, which was basically just a collection of his essays. But that's when he 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 took... Knuckleheads to task. He deals with Arthur Schlesinger, that fool, the disuniting of America, and his frontal assault on Afrocentricity. He um, deals with the knucklehead Skip Gates. And again, for anyone who will be in the D.C. area on December 5th, um, his high clownhoodness will be at um, Politics and Prose. Um, in his new book, which will definitely confuse a whole lot of folks, called Life Upon the Shores, 1500 to 2008, where he attempts to recast slavery um, and, and, the, and, and black life in America um, like the good little lap dog that Caucasoids pay him to be. And so some of us with our right mindset needs to be, I feel, in that audience um, to challenge him, um, at least raise some questions uh, to let him know that, 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 that everybody is not eating up his BS like it seems like it is, and we know we will, we know there will be plenty of folks who Love that knucklehead in the audience, so it'd be nice to to attempt to balance it out a little bit. But yeah, in intellectual warfare, he deals with him head on. He deals with um, Corny West and his crazy hybrid theory. So intellectual warfare is real good, and he also has a great chapter on the African war view in there as well. He'll be laying out some stuff um, tonight, but again, I just want to go through some of his books um, briefly. And if you want a good account of what happened within um, the Haitian Revolution, you want to get his book, um, Irritated Genie, uh, Dr. Carruthers' book called The Irritated Genie, dealing with the Haitian Revolution. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so um, moving on. Um, so... I just like this quote. I'm going to play this quote again. No people can be spiritually, politically, or psychologically free when they worship an image of God assigned to them by another people. The new revolution in Africa that will usher in real independence will start when Africans begin to look at all aspects of their life based upon their spirituality, their culture, All aspects of our life from our spiritual and political and cultural framework. So, he then poses some 
questions that he um, will attempt to address throughout the lecture. And, and we put some of them over as, as some of the talking points, but I wanted you to hear them directly as well. That is the instruction from our elders, our masterpieces, John Henry Clark. And in a certain sense, he echoed a sentiment that um, Brother Hooker uh, articulated last night uh, that was put this way in 1898, 102 years ago, by Bishop Henry McNeil Turner, that God is a Negro. Uh, both Dr. Clark and Bishop Turner looked at the problem of African spirituality as absolutely critical, that we must approach African spirituality as a part of the liberation movement. If spirituality is not involved in the liberation movement, then it's no good. And if we're going to be liberated, we must liberate our spirituality. And that's what they had in mind. And so uh, we look at all of our great teachers, all of our great leaders, Dr. Ben Yaman, uh, in exposing the origins of the major Western religions, had the same objective, to get us ready spiritually to revolutionize this world. What led these great Africans to radically question the religious traditions they've been raised in? What uh, led them to search for an African or uh, black God? And then, on the other hand, what led hundreds of Africans during the time I grew up to abandon spirituality altogether, to embrace atheistic Marxism, and ultimately to lead some of our very distinguished thinkers, like Professor John G. Jackson, to embrace atheism? What's going on? Uh, and then what has caused so many of us to attempt to return to our tradition in search of spiritual enrichment? But that, of course, leads to <laughs> the real question, and that is, why did so many of our ancestors abandon our spiritual tradition? And then finally, how can we restore African spirituality to provide a foundation for the present day world, to provide a foundation for our revolution? If we are to be liberated, we must liberate our spirituality. If we want to do anything, it must come from an African spiritual foundational base. Those were some of the things that he mentioned. And some of the questions, he was like, what led our great Africans to radically question the religions they were raised on? 
um, what led them to search for an African or a black guy? What led some to abandon spirituality altogether and embrace atheism? Um, and so with those things that he laid out, oh, I can't get this one. How can we restore African spirituality to provide a foundation for our revolution? Now, again, since I had to break it up, and when I was looking at what I had, because this isn't the whole this is the edited lecture, so I could, you know, fit it in and do some stuff. But even with this editing, at the point, hopefully, that we'll get at today, I was like, man, I still got all this much of the lecture to go. So we won't hear his um, thoughts and answers on that one tonight. That one will be uh, put into the part two for next week. But Again, you're seeing the importance that he's laying in that that he's putting in African spirituality. He wants to restore it, not only just so we can be ringing bells and say, "Ooh, ooh I'm back to doing the Yerba thing." No, how can we restore African spirituality to provide it, it for it to be the foundation of our revolution and liberation and life? Because after the revolution is done. After the fighting has stopped and the smoke is clear, we still can't just rest on our laurels. Uh, we don't want to repeat Haiti, the Haitian Revolution. They were able to awaken and use um, the traditional spiritual systems that they knew to beat the French down and get them off their back. But as I said in the previous show, they did not... Um, follow up on the agreement that they made with those spirits, um, which is possibly one of the spiritual reasons behind why Haiti is still going through what they're going through today from 1804 when the revolution was over um, and they were victorious to 2011, so it would be 12 or calendar. There was some, a, a major nationwide ritual in Haiti that wasn't done and still hasn't been done to this day that was supposed to um, rein back in that warrior energy and then bring back out the um, maintenance or the healing type of energy and stuff like that. And that ritual still hasn't been done to this day. So we do not want to reduplicate that mistake <laughs> if, if and when we fully get on board and use our, our spiritual systems and, and link, them, link arms together and do what we need to do globally to get all the different monkeys off our back, then we're then going to uh, need to hold up our end of the bargain and do what they ask uh, to to maintain what's going on, to maintain the, 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 the sovereignty that we had just won and keep them in our good graces. And so the foundation of our liberation, pre, during, and post. So, yeah. And so now to add even more to that point, we have this nice snippet. 
finally just tried to blank the whole spiritual agenda out of my mind as irrelevant and inconsistent with where we were going. But the more I got involved in trying to figure out how we as a people are going to get out of this mess that we are in, the more I began to realize that we ain't going nowhere without spirituality. We can't reach African people without spirituality. I looked at the various movements, and I wondered why Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad uh, had such great followers when these intellectual Marxists had virtually nobody following them. And so finally, I decided that we had better start a serious search for our link to African spirituality. And we had that in mind as we created the Committee Institute, the Temple of the African Community of Chicago, and the Foundation of ASCAP. Because as you know, one of the four commissions in ASCAP is the Spiritual Commission, the Spiritual Development Commission. So by that time, we were thoroughly convinced that the right road to revolution, the right road to liberation, was a road that was founded in spirituality. The right road to liberation is one that was founded, is one that is founded on our spirituality. Now, for those who may have already listened to the whole lecture, um, when it first aired, you know, there, and again, I had to edit some stuff out so we could do this show. He went through a, a, a little bit of his background story, and he likes an, an interesting and unfortunate large amount, <laughs> uh, well, maybe not large, but medium amount of, of our thinkers and stuff, toyed around intellectually with atheism. Um, whether it be atheism outright or whether it be atheism because they went into the socialist thing with Marxism, stuff like that. So a lot of, uh, and I'm hearing that story over and over again. Um, Baba Ajay Akota, um, you can hear in D.C., he shares that story, that, that he had played with that road, that, that, that atheism road for a little bit uh, before Africa smacked him upside his head, and I <laughs> made him come home spiritually, too. So Dr. Uh, Jehudi talks about that he played around sort of with that. But then when he did a serious search for, in looking at the success of some of the other leaders that we've had in our past, and then comparing it with folks who just want to focus on um, intellectualism and all that sort of stuff, he saw that specifically for us, uh, the more the, the things that were the most successful were those that had some type of religion or, or, or spiritual bend to them. And, um, and, and I, I think back to some of the discussions that me and Ty have had, and um, we both agree that that at some level uh, spirituality and spirit and religion must be used, um, we sort of differ. <laughs> we don't differ. We differ on tactics. There we go. Um, 
but it, we we both agree that we could um, find a way to mutually fuse the two differing tactical ideas that we have together into one whole. But we both agree that at some level, uh, whatever liberatory movement we're going to create, it's going to have to have some type of spiritual basis within it. Whether we whether we do it my way, <laughs> in the sense of folks who want to get into the African spiritual systems and, 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 and go about it that way, or whether we have someone be a front man within Christianity or Islam, and they're linked to someone like me. And so while the congregation is giving them um, all their money, and, and, and he won't be, they, they won't be a charlatan. They'll still be given good information, but just like some folks who are already in leading churches, they know the real deal, uh, but they only give the folks so much. We might, as a strategy, again, have to do it that way. And that, and then so some of that money will then go through them and then be funneled to somebody like me <laughs> or somebody like Rodney Him or, or other folks like that so then we can put together the real, real deal. However, you know, again, we can have those strategic strategy type of discussions all day with no issue. Uh, but at the end of the day, we are all – Agree that the, the, this next level liberation movement will have to have some type of uh, spiritual or religious basis to it, and so that sort of ties into um, one of the talking points on the show: Is atheism a viable solution, a viable liberatory solution for Black folks? No. Period. Um. Uh, no, I'm I'm not gonna get into that because that would take if I got into that that would take over the show, and and I'm gonna do a show on it so I'm, I'm not gonna get into it. I'll just say that no, <laughs> it's it, it's not gonna work. Um, the, the 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 black Marxists, the black socialists, um, they they are trying so hard to to do. Um, Either some of them just don't deal with religion at all, and again, come from this atheist perspective, or what some of them are trying to do is be tricky and, and, and claim a universal type stance. So any black person that's doing any type of religious system can come on in and do whatever, whatever, as long as you agree with these particular points and tenets and whatnot. And I still personally don't think that will work as I've said on other shows, if you want to create programs and plans and stuff like that, you need a coherent worldview. Now, if you just need a whole bunch of folks to do a calling tree, if you need a whole bunch of bodies somewhere to help feed people or to help build a building, then, okay, whatever religion you profess, okay, whatever, as long as you're down to get X, Y, and Z done, that's okay. But if you want to sit at the table 
where we're putting together plans and programs and whatnot to to re-socialize the people that's going to come through the door in said organization, then those plans and programs need to be on the same base, on the same. Those plans and programs need to be ideologically and culturally coherent. And and someone coming from a Christian worldview, an Islamic worldview, an atheist worldview, and a traditional African spiritualist worldview will not be able to put together a cohesive and coherent plan or program to resocialize African people. Because that's four different worldviews. Consciousness precedes unity. Identity, culture, and consciousness have to be aligned for us to move forward and not keep spinning our wheels over and over and over again. And that's exactly where we are right now because we don't want to fully understand that identity, culture, and consciousness have to be aligned and then you move forward. We want to skip over that and just, we all black. We all black people, we're being oppressed. Let's just do whatever, whatever. We've got history to show that that don't work. If you want to be honest and look at that history, keep spinning the wheel. So, as Dr. Carruthers said, he went down that road, an atheist road. He did a serious search, and that search kept leading him back to spirit, kept leading him back to spirit, kept leading him back to spirit. He was smart enough to see that the interpretation of Christianity and Islam wasn't the way to go. And he did what so many folks are afraid to do, even with all the cute labels of pro-black and African-centered and all that sort of stuff. I think I said it last week, or maybe two weeks ago, we're smart enough to jettison Christianity after we learn about some stuff. Then we get smart enough to jettison Islam because we learn some stuff. And so then some of us go over to the Eastern systems and, 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 and do some Zen and some Dhammapada and some Bhagavad Gita. And then if that don't work, if that don't fulfill the spirit, then, folk, then black folks want to run the atheism. And it's like, hey, wait a minute. Hello. Yo, home. <laughs> Check out your home and what they were doing spiritually. Folks still ain't doing it. That's brothers with J.D. Simshu Jehudi, he did do that. And he decided to learn and master the kinetic system. And so in Chicago, and I, I'm pretty sure they are still doing it, they created TACC, the Temple of the African Community of Chicago. And, and you know, and they recreated different comedic rituals and ceremonies and stuff like that. They have a, a Wahimi Masu, a rebirth slash New Year celebration, um, I think, in August or September, knowing the calendar, whenever that falls, that's that's when that ceremony happens. And, again, when I was there, I got to take place in that. Um, that was a nice experience. For those that know me, you know I had to be dedicated because it was uh, before there was a sunrise type of um, ceremony. <laughs> and y'all know I don't like waking up before noon if I don't have to. <laughs> and so for me to get up for a sunrise ceremony, you know, I was trying to, you know, be proud about it. But, um, so, yeah, so, so 
success, so so Dr. Carruthers was able to do what so many of us still won't do. We look at Africa, the place we talk about, the place that we talk about we need to use as the basis for all whatever, whatever. The spiritual peace, we need to look at Africa for that as well, and he did. And he just laid it straight out. We ain't going nowhere without our spirituality. We're not going to do it. Finally, this tried to blank the whole spiritual agenda out of my mind as irrelevant and inconsistent with where we were going. But the more I got involved in trying to figure out how we as a people are going to get out of this mess that we're in, the more I began to realize that we ain't going nowhere without spirituality. We can't reach Um, I used to look, I, I looked at the various movements, and I wondered why Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad uh, had such great followers when these intellectual Marxists had virtually nobody following them. And so finally, I decided that we had better start a serious search for our link to African spirituality. And we had that in mind as we created the Committee Institute, the Temple of the African Community of Chicago, and the Foundation of ASCAP. Because as you know, one of the four commissions in ASCAP is the Spiritual Commission, the Spiritual Development Commission. So by that time, we were thoroughly convinced that the right road to revolution, the right road to liberation, was a road that was founded in spirituality. For y'all who have not heard the entire lecture, for folks who haven't downloaded it, y'all sleeping, so make sure to go back to to, to my show page. And this was um, July 17th of this year that we did the entire lecture. Um, you want to download it and check it out for yourself. I personally want to see a nice spike in the downloads for Bobby Jacob Carruthers because and, and we, we still got quite a bit more to go just for this um, hour, the hour that we have left and the hour into this particular lecture. So if you like it, what you're hearing already, you definitely will like the entire lecture. And, um, uh, He's about to break some other stuff down uh, as well. Another thing on the importance of our spiritual systems is that, again, as I said it earlier, traditional African spiritual systems are the oldest on the planet. We are the first people on the planet. We were the first people to come up with No, we were the first people to understand the spiritual relationship between um, other spirit forces, the creative forces, whatever, whatnot. And that understanding has stood the test of time for 100,000, 200,000 years. And with all of the killings, with with the Ma'afa and its um, 
and it's in your face phase, and now it's behind your back phase. Um, African spirits, you can still go to the continent right now, and if you know where to go, you can find traditional African spirituality going on. Uh, there are some folks on the phone right now, listening right now, <laughs> who, who, who can attest to that and, and, and who can um, co-sign with what I'm saying. Um, I I I, I know people personally who have went back to home um, and are engaged in in traditional African spirituality in places like Aquapim and in places like in Larte, Ghana, um, down down in um got another friend yeah just. Traditional African spirituality is still here. They tried to kill it. They haven't killed it. We want to bypass these old systems that are, if you really want to get there, that are within our evolutionary makeup as African people. That's how deeply embedded it is in us. But we want to focus on the Johnny-come-lately system specifically Christianity of the last 111 years, because if you heard my show some earlier some time ago, we've only fully really dealt with this Christian thing since 1900. You had some, you of course had some of us dealing with it, 1700s, a small increase in the 1800s, but right at that 1900 mark, once they finally took census numbers and saw how many churches we had and all that sort of stuff, that, that Carter G. Woodson in his great book that folks sleep on, The Education of the Negro, that came out before miseducation. He lays out all those numbers and all that sort of stuff. So by 1900, you see like 70% of us was Christian. That number still hasn't really changed that much in 111 years. So we want to deal with the Johnny-come-lately systems in our life and try to predate them as something older um, or claim authorship of them when they're, I'm repeating myself, but it has to be repeated. So I'm, I'm saying this to to walk you into the next snippet from um, Dr. Kresner. Um, if you look at the fact that the tyranny that has descended on African humanity and that has been so prevalent during the last 500 years has not been able to erase traditional African spirituality. That uh, on the continent you still have what Hampate Ba calls the living tradition that is steeped in the uh, African spirituality. Throughout the diaspora, you have Vodou in Haiti, you have Santeria in Cuba, and uh, Kandambe in, uh, in Brazil. And all over the diaspora, you have pockets of the celebration of African spirituality. They haven't been able to stand it out. It's here. So one could even make an argument, and and I heard I'm trying to remember where I heard it, but a few folks are even just coming flat out and saying the the fastest growing 
um, the, the the fastest growing religion or the fastest growing um, spiritually based thing right now in the world is folks moving and getting into uh, getting back into the um, African spiritual systems. Uh, how, where, and however it's being done. Again, um, a lot of folks, a lot of African folks, are getting into some of the uh, synchronistic systems of Kadomble and Lakumi and Santeria. And, you know, on one level that's okay because they're still getting a a bit uh, and a taste of the the, the real deal, even though it's being masked within some of the other stuff. Uh, But you're having a large number of people also just coming raw dog and coming back into um, the straight Ifa system of the Yoruba people. The Akan system is slowly but surely growing. Um, even even um, Raul Nefremin and his personally revelated, if that's the word, system of the of a, the Asara Set Society. Uh, quite a few black folks getting into that that system. So so numbers are growing slowly but surely. Um, Maybe I'm just impatient. I don't think they're going fast enough. Um, and uh, and and there was just a, you know, it, it, it's it was hard to quantify this particular poll. But they, I think, about a year, year and a half ago, they here in America they took a, a religious based poll, and they were saying how Christianity had lost all this many millions of people and they were saying that 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 secular humanism which is a nice new Q term for atheism was on the rise here in America and so we know that you know they were talking about white folks Uh, I'm just upset that I'm hearing that being bantied around too much in our intellectual circles Um, and so again I keep I'm trying to navigate away from that because we're going to do a whole show on black atheism. So, I mean, we're going to focus on Dr. Carruthers tonight. But they haven't been able to stamp out 100% traditional African spiritual systems. Jainism is gone. Zoroastrianism is gone. Um, um, Rosicrucianism uh, doesn't have the following that it's, it, it once had. They're still around, but they don't have the following that they once had. Uh, you know, you can look at and go through some of the um, old, you know, type religions that were once around that aren't around anymore. Uh, but 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 for at least a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand years um, of African people. Dealing with nature the way we deal with it, um, understanding, connecting with the, the different spiritual forces that they reveal themselves, uh, whether it be through environmental factors, earth, air, fire, water, in the forest, uh, whether it be um, the small 
the small, playful ones, the uh, Lamotier or the Catomble uh, the, um, or the Degara people, um, or whether it be just straight um, deity forces, uh, whether it's Shango or Oshun or Gatakofi or, 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 or Nanasurjabi or some of the different Loas. Throughout those 100,000, 200,000 years, that information was bequeathed to us. And we still held on to it, and we had the most success that we've ever had as a group of people when that's what we were focused on, when that was what was moving our our day-to-day existence. Uh, can we do it exactly the same way that it was done back then? No, you're not supposed to. Uh, you're supposed to uh, have a, get a connection with those spirits and then make it applicable to the day and the time that you're in and then move forward what you want to do. And so the the the... the main objective of Africa's reascension is that we recreate we create society of the future that will make Kenneth look like a footnote in our history. That's what I want to do. Once I have children, that's what I'm going to be instilling into my children. If Kenneth right now is the height of where, of quote, unquote, where we have been, but now we have so, so much information. Right now, a lot of us are going back and, and, and reconnecting to our spiritual system. So reconnecting with the spiritual system, including that with all of the information that, that we now have and that is now out there, it's, it's, it's doable to create society that will, and nations that will make Kenneth look like a footnote in our history. But it starts first with acknowledging and getting into and tapping back into our spiritual systems that Caucasoids, Arabs, and, and increasingly Chinese Asians cannot stamp out. They've been trying. Whoa, they've been trying. And we know they've been, they outlawed drums and outlawed stuff, and they, they had it on the books that, that, that our spiritual systems were illegal in, in, in different parts of the country and stuff to do um, because they were just that scared of it because they knew it was something they couldn't control. So don't you think it would be smart? to look at that and get back into it and see what was really going on with it versus trying to reinterpret something that they gave us in the first place, that they created in the first place, and just blacking up with a whole bunch of crayons. They know all the different angles that you can come from because they gave it to you. It's they stuff. But if you use something that is from you, that they don't understand and they already tried to outlaw it and get rid of it and all that sort of stuff because they couldn't understand it. 
you use that, you have a, a, again, for the strategists and tacticians, you have a strategic and tactical advantage within our own spiritual systems because they don't understand it and can't fully understand it. They've got some spies in there, but they still can't get it all the way. So just as a strategy and a tactic, tactical matter, we need to be looking at the traditional African spiritual systems because it's from us and they can't possibly understand it because of the way they have decided to look at the universe and deal with forces that they don't understand. Anyway. So now, again, like we said earlier, Dr. Carruthers has um, mastered, had mastered the language and, and uh, the master the Medinetra, and he was looking, and, and he was a master teacher, so he had a good grasp of uh, comedic history. And so he's about to share. I was debating whether or not to add this clip, but I'm going to add it solely so I can then talk about it and make sure we steer clear of something that I know some of us will hear and, well, not none of us listening now. Y'all are good. But folks who might download it and hear it, I've got to make sure I clear up something that he says. But let's go ahead and put it in. Uh, and when we look at the focus that we've had for the last 17 or 18 years here in ASCAP, that is Kimmy, uh, we can begin to see uh, something about African spirituality and something about the possibilities of African spirituality. One of the things that's outstanding about African spirituality, as it was developed in Timid, is the fact that African spirituality in Timid was based upon an urban-dominated culture. That's something that we have to really look at today uh, because of what is happening to us in this urban-dominated world. We have to understand that that spiritual system that was worked out in Timid was a cosmopolitan uh, form of African spirituality. It was a, a form of spirituality that resulted in a synthesis of uh, various uh, perspectives on African spirituality. As the Africans came from all over the continent to the Nile Valley, they brought with them their celebrations. And what the priesthood of Kemet did was to take those celebrations and synthesize them and make them into one supra-national and ethnic uh, type of celebration that was based upon the idea of inclusion rather than exclusion. That all perspectives of spirituality that are truly founded upon uh, the, the, the reverence of the creation are acceptable, and we can work them into the overall framework. And therefore, there, was, there were national priesthoods that, uh, that cultivated and extended uh, these, uh, these uh, spiritual uh, uh, brotherhoods and sisterhoods. Um, so, he mentioned there the inclusiveness of the comedic system, and he mentioned that with all the different spiritual systems of those who were coming from the north down to Kemet, um, Yes, remember, because you got to turn Africa, quote-unquote, upside down, so the north goes down to Kenya. 
following the now. Yeah. Um, so you have these different looks, these different understandings of African spirituality all converging into Kemet. And so the Kemetic priesthood, understanding this, and their focus being inclusion versus exclusion, decided to synthesize them together and create more of a supra uh, a supra type system, which then eventually became comedic spirituality. And and the one I shouldn't say it that way, but one of the few I say it that way, yeah, I will. One of the few good things that has come <laughs> from the mind of the guy who I debated on African identity, um, Asari Imhotep. And and of course it's not just his, but he, he was one of the first people that I see that I saw fully articulated. He he talks about the African superhighway where there is um and he talks about how we gotta we need to look at Kemet and figure out what was comedic information proper and what was some of um traditional Afri- inner Africa ideas that the comedic priest subsumed into what we now call the comedic system because we tend to look at it the reverse that Kemet did everything and if there's any similarities to the other systems in inner Africa then that was because some of the comedic people left and went to those areas and it happened that way but when you really look at it from a, a more honest perspective it's the reverse, and Dr. Crothers even even co-signs on that, that what we know as Kemet and the Kemetic system was a combination of what they themselves did come up with as well as a synthesis of inner African thought fused all together. And so we would then need to, and, and, and not enough folks are doing this, I mean, there's just so much research that we could be doing, but in December we're going to give Wesley Muhammad some more damn play by debating with him whether Ma'at and Islam is compatible or not, if there's, they're two separate ones. I mean, uh, the brother who's debating on the Ma'at side, I know him, and I'm pretty sure he'll be able to slay him, but that energy could be used on so much better stuff. I digress again, but looking at what what is Kemet proper and what came from inner Africa to then be synthesized within Kemet is some research that we need to get into. Um, and coming from, again, that way versus the hyper-diffusionist way that some of us tend to do it, um, totally disrespecting older inner Africa. I, 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 I don't think I've said this enough. Kamal Mukasey Tahuti is not a Kemetologist. I am a Pan-Africanist, and I love Kemet, and I followed, on, on one level, I followed the track that most of us follow as far as learning about Kemet first and the glories of Kemet and all that sort of stuff. But again, different from a lot of my contemporaries, um, 
And I can I can throw um, Taj in this too. He he didn't go this route. We both sort of took a different route. We both decided to continue to search, and that led us past Kenneth, and that led me and him into Inner Africa as well. And Inner Africa is older than Kemet. That's some other stuff that I've been hearing that 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 is very upsetting. Some folks are trying to say that Kemet was the first civilization in Africa. Some folks are saying that Kemet is the beginning of Africa. That is a lie. Folks are wrong. Kemet is five, 6,000 years old if we use the particular methodology of aging. But the San people and the Twa people are at that beginning, that 200,000, 300,000 beginning of humanity, of Homo sapiens sapiens, that was still Africa, and that's the Twa and the San people. And it's part of that thought that went into, that traveled down into Kemet that, that helped synthesize, that, that helped, that became some of the synthesized thought within Kemet. But there are oldest, you have, you have the Nok and in Ri, I don't know how to pronounce it, NRI people, who were coterminous, meaning at the time Kemet had their civilizations, you had smaller scale civilizations of the Nok and the Ri people, NRI. We don't look at them or deal with them because we're just focused on Kemet and the grand structures and all that. I ain't hating on Kemet. It's a magnificent civilization. But Sister Ifeama Deume talks about this in, in, in Reinventing Africa. We have limited resources, limited funds and money in what we're doing as far as the African-centered people. And and the overwhelming majority of that those, those financial resources and and time resources are being focused on Kemet. We just I I'm not advocating stop looking at Kemet and stop focusing on Kemet, but no, I I would say we need to stop focusing on Kemet, but we don't need to stop looking at Kemet. We need to redirect some of that money some of that time, some of that energy into inner Africa, which populated Kemet, which helped create some of the ideas of Kemet. But looking at those ideas as they were created for those particular areas, if if, if you were Pan-African, are you Pan-African or are you a Kemetologist, a Kemetist? If you call yourself a Pan-African, then we do need to spend some time looking past Kemet, older societies than Kemet, older societies than Nubia, older societies than Kush. We just want to deal with those three, Kemet, Kush, and Nubia. There was stuff older than them in inner Africa that, that too few of us are dealing with. And Baba Carruthers hints at that in, in what he talked about. But I know some of y'all heard him say the synthesis and the inclusion, and y'all immediately went to, well, see, Kamal, we can put traditional African spirituality, Christianity, Islam, Baha'i, Hebrewism, all that together, and then we'd be following the comedic way. No, that's not what he's saying. <laughs> not only is he not saying that just in that clip, because he talks about the fusion of 
different versions of traditional African spirituality. So he didn't just say all the different religious thoughts of that time were fused together into it. He specifically was talking about the, 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 the thought of inner Africa and the ways that, that, that those of us engaged in, in the spirit reality. And then when they got up to Kenneth, fused those together into the super spiritual system that we call Kenneth. That, he, he, he says that specifically in there, but you might have missed it. But then, just to make sure that you don't miss it, he followed it up with this. Uh, one of the reasons that African spirituality in the Nile Valley was weak, uh, so that when the farmers descended on it, it began to collapse and fade away, is because of a crisis of the, of, of the governing system. That is, what happened is that the government, because of the cosmopolitan nature of African culture in the Nile Valley, began to flirt with foreign ideas and began to incorporate foreign uh, anti-spiritual forces uh, into their government. And that undermined the cooperation between the priesthood and the governing agents. And that began to grow. And finally, because of the warfare between the priests and the pharaohs, the system began to collapse. It took about a thousand years for it to finally fade out. Did y'all get that? I hope y'all got that. The clip before, he's talking about the inclusive nature and, and, and synthesis and fusing stuff together. And I know some folks who listened to it when it originally played ran off and and didn't continue listening and just felt like, okay, yeah, we can put all this mishmash stuff together that's here today and we'd be doing in line with Kenneth. But he, if you didn't hear what he said in that first part, he comes straight out and says, the reason why Kenneth got weak and eventually fell was due to its inclusionary nature when some of them decided to do like we're trying to do now. See, that clip is just so instructive of, of what we're trying to do now. And if we saw it fail in Kenneth, why in the hell are we trying to do it now? He said the reason why the systems got weak and eventually fell because we flirted with and then tried to incorporate the foreign ideas into Kemet. And they did not work, and they watered it down, and they bastardized it, and after about a thousand years of chipping away and chipping away and chipping away, it eventually fell. Y'all, you going to play that again, just to make sure y'all uh, heard. One of the reasons that African spirituality in the Nile Valley was weak, uh, so that when the farmers descended on it, it began to collapse and fade away, is because of a crisis of the, of, of the governing system. That is, what happened is that the government, because of the cosmopolitan nature of African culture in the Nile Valley, began to flirt with foreign ideas and began to incorporate foreign uh, anti-spiritual forces uh, into their government. And that undermined the cooperation between the priesthood and the governing agents. 
And that began to grow. And finally, because of the warfare between the priests and the pharaohs, the system began to collapse. It took about a thousand years for it to finally fade out. That Don't do it. Don't do it. Too many folks talk about Kimmy, 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 Kimmy. But you're doing all that talk about Kimmy from second, third, fourth, fifth hand possible research. And it's not, and folks aren't looking deeply into him most of the time when they talk about him. That's probably one reason why a lot of folks shy away from Father Perez, Father Jehudi, is because he always made sure to look deeply into him. And he puts a lot of, he has put a few ideas out there that challenge some of these mainstream, long-held thoughts in our mind about Kenneth specifically. And folks ain't still ain't really ready to uh, deal with those arguments head-on from the documents themselves because one phrase for folks who did know him that he loved to use was he loved to let the documents speak for themselves. Let the documents speak for themselves. So that way, you, you, I mean, you can do interpretation afterwards. You can add on stuff afterwards. But let the documents speak for themselves. And so if you do that, for real, for real, some of the ideas that, 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 that we just take for granted because we've repeated it to ourselves over and over and over and over again for so long, he was like, no, when you look at what actually happened, it doesn't work. That, it doesn't fall that way. Uh, I, I don't know if I want to get into too specific. No, I won't. I'm going to get into the, that specific. I'm just bringing it up to say that it, one of the reasons I feel folks haven't gotten into Dr. Crudders like I feel they should have is because he challenges even some of those preconceived, repeated over and over and over ideas about Kimmy that the documents, when you actually look at them and deal with them, don't bear out. Um, and that's uncomfortable for folks to uh, change the thinking on certain stuff. So that particular quote, that particular piece um, It's just vital But we're, we're, we're Trying to reduplicate it And It's the greatest civilization That all of us know about Fail Because of it Then why In Europe Would we want to then try to reduplicate it If Kemet failed because they attempted to incorporate 
foreign ideas, Christianity and Islam, into their system, foreign ideas, um, other just different types of Caucasoid era thought, just trying to fuse that into the system. And it caused a friction between the, the, those in the comedic government and the priesthood. And, and it challenged some of the African worldview tenets that obviously had been good enough for the last oh five thousand years within that comedic society. And so then these new Johnny-come-lately thoughts come in, and then they want to try to incorporate that in there, and then you start seeing the society being chipped away at and chipped away at until eventually it fails. Why would we want to duplicate that? If it brought down our biggest civilization, we need to learn from that lesson and run the other way. So, we got 14 minutes left. Um, I, I knew this was going to happen. That's why we're going to do it. We will do a part two. Um, there will be an overtime because I'd at least like to get through <laughs> these clips that I got of this part. Um, tonight, because uh, I don't know if y'all be able to bear with three parts of this. But anyway, uh, so you have 14 minutes left. If you would like to continue with um, this discussion live, the call the number seven two zero four five four one 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 seven six zero four five four one 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 one. In about 14 minutes, the uh, if you listen on the computer and in the chat, that will drop off. And the only way to continue live will be is if you're listening on your phone or on one of your other devices by calling in the number. So, yeah, now in about 30 minutes that will happen. And so we're going to continue through throughout through the overtime period as well. So. Dr. Karebi, Jimmy Shinsu Jehudi, we're now going to move into what he calls the first coming of Christianity and Islam and and how how the, the, the first time they came, how that interaction affected um, the people and how that interaction went. And... Um, I think it's um, pretty pretty insightful what he has to say about this first coming, and then um, we'll be able to compare it to the second coming of these systems instead of coming. And even though it finally failed in a substantial sense, we must recognize that that form of spiritual uh, culture fed much of the world that the Jews came into the Nile Valley time after time and drank from the deep well of African spirituality and took it out into that part of the world to try to revive what they were doing. And the Greeks, and on and on, they went into that deep well. When the Christians came in, they went into that deep well and took something out. 
to try to revive what they were doing. And that leads us to what I call the first and the second comings. The first and the second comings are these revealed religions, are these proselytizing religions, are these intolerant religions that brought atrocities and warfare against African spirituality. And I don't mean to upset anybody who is practicing Christianity or practicing Islam, but I just want to point out some things about our historical association with those imports from the, from the uh, Western Asia. In the first place, Christianity came into the African world almost as soon as the Christian movement started. It came into Kemet, it came into what we now call Ethiopia, into action. And it came in as a refugee movement. And with the toleration and the openness of African people, the African people opened up and said, come on in. But from the very beginning, those movements challenged African spirituality. Because they were monopolistic, because they asserted that there is only one way, they immediately confronted the tolerance in African spirituality. African spirituality could live with them, but they found it difficult to live with African spirituality until they discovered in that first coming that if they weren't tolerant about African spirituality, they weren't going to stay in Africa. And so they allowed an Africanization of Christianity. And therefore, when you look at the Coptic Church, which dominated the first coming in Egypt, in Ethiopia, and later in the Sudan, when you look at the Coptic Church, you can see a great deal of Africanism. If you go to Ethiopia today and go to some of the temples, you will see that there's some Africanism there. If you talk to the Coptics in, in Egypt, you will see that there's some Africanization there. But however much those first comings were Africanized, they still led to division and alienation among African people. And throughout the history of Ethiopia, and throughout the history of the Coptic Church, there has been alienation between those Christian establishments and true African spirituality. We have to accept that. The same is true of the first coming of Islam. Islam came into Africa as a jihad. The jihad didn't work in what we call Africa south of the Sahara. Uh, it got turned back, and so they had to try another way to get in. Uh, and so they came in more or less as traders, as merchants, as people of goodwill, asking for cooperation. And they therefore were conducive to some Africanization. And therefore, in the first coming, Islam also uh, was Africanized to a certain extent. But there are certain things that we have to be aware of. They've also brought in the box, the trade in African men and women. It began almost as soon as Islam got into Africa. That chattel slave industry was begun. That's one thing. And the other thing is, however much Islam in its first coming was Africanized, it still 
tended to divide and alienate African people, began to take over uh, and compete with the African tradition. If you notice, the story of Suziyama, which is supposed to come from that period, for example, as glorious as that story is, if you notice the details of it, what it does is to pit Islam against African traditions, and it puts African position, uh, traditions in the position of being evil. The fight against the so-so people that Suziyama led, the fight of the Islamic Africans against the Masayumpa, you see, and the fact that history, much of African history in that part of the world is designed to show that Islam was a superior form of spirituality to true uh, African spirituality. So even in the first coming, there were some great problems uh, in this warfare. This warfare had begun. So yeah, we got about six minutes left. Uh, he said a lot. <laughs> he said a lot there. Uh, Christianity first came in as a refugee movement. Islam, Islam, Islam came in first, and they tried the jihad angle, and that didn't work. They got beat back. He said that. They got beat back. They were defeated in that attempt. And so they went back and regrouped and then decided to then come in as traitors. Um, of goods and other stuff And then eventually like he said It was Islam that started This whole notion Of this this um, Outside of Africa um, Slave System Slavery system um, Again fools like Skip Gates And others just want to say that Everyone had slavery and it was all the same and everybody had it and all this and all this. And, and, and he specifically, Skip Gates and others, don't want to look at the, the, the nuanced servitude system within Africa proper before Arabs and, and Caucasoids got there. So then the, the, the real differentiation would be able to be seen. Of course, I ain't trying to say that the enslavement, the, the servitude system in Africa was perfect. There were some clowns and knuckleheads that did some horrible and dehumanizing stuff in there, too. But the totality of the servitude system in Africa was nowhere near the same, in any, nowhere near the same as what Arabs and Caucasoids did as far as in the main. Again, you have a few individuals who, who did some crazy and dehumanizing stuff. But the majority of that system, that servitude system that Africa had before Caucasoids, was not equatable or compatible to the Islamic enslavement system, and both of those weren't compatible with the Caucasoid enslavement system. And Dr. Clark lays that out in a few places, um, and, 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 and Baba Baruti, um, especially his work, Kebuka, lays that out. Um, 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 Kobe Cambone in his um, African Black Psychology in the United States, the big red book, he talks about that too. So a few folks have attempted to talk about it and look at it. But I would still like to see, and then some Caucasoids have actually done it in different journal articles that I've come across. But it would be nice if some of us, 
could get in there and, and look at it and tease out that those um, differences and the specificity and stuff so then we can compare it and contrast it and then slap upside the four-foot however size head of, of Skip when he tries to say that 90% of the slave system was based on us selling ourselves and and. and and African slavery and European slavery was the same thing and all that sort of stupidity that just keeps getting parodied because, again, folks don't want to look deeper. The, 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 the talking points and the popularization of history is a lot easier to deal with and then folks want to debate you and fight you on it because you decided to look deeper. So you've got some different information than what the popular adage adages are. And and, and Dr. Jehudi was magnificent in looking deeper at the stuff. And so Africanizing someone else's system versus doing your own system. And so when that first coming he talked about how they allowed certain aspects of Christianity to be Africanized. They allowed certain aspects of Islam to be Africanized. And some of that first coming Africanization is the Sufi system. Some of that first Africanizing of the Christian system will be some factions of what we now call the Gnostic systems. But let's not get the Africanization of somebody else's stuff confused with the totality of our stuff. Sufism and the Gnostic system um, has a lot more parity than the the regular Islam and the regular Christianity that we deal with. And, And as a nice stepping stone out of Christianity, Islam, those two things would be something nice to look at and get into and maybe study a little bit. But as far as, again, liberation, liberatory stuff, Sufism, and the, the and factions of the Gnostic stuff, you, dealing with that, you still got some more steps to go, some more stuff to do. So we got a minute left. Call in, 760-454-1111. We will continue and get through as much as we can. We will get into part two of this lecture analysis next week. So please um, download it and check it out. Um, or, or come back and tell your friends and check it out. We will play our usual closing and then come back afterwards, um, 760-454-1111. Uh, Abibi Fahodier, Total African Liberation, Yabedi Inconim, we will be victorious. Um, after the closing, we will come back and continue. of European control works is that you have to accept a concept of reality which makes them 
superior. If you deny that, their thing will not work. And they will lose their control.
All right, we're back. Had to take a quick break right there. Didn't want y'all to think I forgot about y'all. <laughs> yeah, so let us continue with breaking down Uncle Ruggers, uh giving him, attempting to give him some of the just, just do. Um, that he deserves. So. I remember me and um, actually old boy who will be debating Knucklehead Wesley Muhammad. We were both in his class, actually. And um, I forget the exact year. I have to look at my notes. Between 2000 2002, me and Omar and some other folks, we was in the class, in, in Baba Carruthers class. So we were trying to and and we, because the class was tri-continental, uh, what's the other word, the tri-continental heritage or something like that, where basically, again, let the documents speak for themselves. So what, what Barbara Crudders was doing is he was looking at Kemet, he was looking at uh, Greece, and he was looking at the Hebrew system, the Bible. And he was fusing, not not fusing them together, but he was setting them side by side by side. And so, you know, me and me and Mukasa and some of the other folks wanted Baba Corinthians just to be coming in, yeah, and, and coming in with the sword and, and and African stuff was this way and the Christian stuff was all backwards and all that sort of stuff and you know. And that wasn't you know, how 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 he wrote. And and so I remember, you know, and Mikasa was a little bit <laughs> ticked off, and and so he was like, "Why ain't he coming harder with it and stuff?" And so I was like, you know, me, I was just like, you know, maybe, I mean, he's been doing this for a long time, so maybe he initially tried that approach, and 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 it didn't work, and so maybe he saw that he had more success doing it this way, and this way that he was doing was he would let the students do that. And so he would never, um, you know, back away or shy away from a question or a discussion that me or or Mikasa or somebody else may have brought up, which was directly intended to challenge the way that um, the, 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 the Christians in the classroom were coming and looking at certain things. And so, you know, so he would welcome those questions. And he would welcome, you know, our analysis or our discussions and stuff. He just wouldn't necessarily initiate it. And so again, and again, and so after the class was over with and everything, I would just, you know, and and looking back at it, I was like, oh, he probably did this on purpose because that way you get folks to come to certain re- revelations on their own versus. Um, teacher telling you this is how it's supposed to be done. And and there were, you know, I, it's been a few years now, so I don't know where some of the people are at in their thought on this now. But at least in that classroom, there were a few folks who, with the way that Barbara Carruthers laid out the class side by side by side, by some of the questions that we would ask and by some of the ways that um, Barbara Jehudi would respond to those questions did make people think and did make people start questioning certain things that they held as sacred sand from 
their Christian background. And so, you know, it's like if that spark is what it takes to get somebody to question it, then, you know, so be it. And and, and, and so it just, I, I'm just, going while I'm going through this and listening to his words and stuff, I'm just thinking back to some of those classroom experiences um, and, and, and seeing, like, yeah, that's, that's how he got his master teacher label um, from being able to navigate the class the way he did and do certain things and get folks to um, come to certain ideas and conclusions on their own. And that way, you know, it's even a bit more powerful because they're like, oh, wow, I never really looked at it that way before. <laughs> Again, versus being specifically told directly that this, this, that, and the other. You know, different tactics work for different folks and stuff. So, yeah. Okay, so enough with the reminiscence. So that was how the first coming of Christianity and Islam affected the continent. And even though he said that, if you heard it, that, that, that there were some allowances for an Africanization of those foreign systems to come in, there was still a, a, a dehumanizing and a superiority complex embedded still within the hostile systems of Christianity and Islam. And, again, so for folks who keep trying to force the triangular peg in the square hole, the triangular peg of Christianity and Islam into the round hole of um, African spirituality. Um, I don't know if you've done that that, that historical homework. Um, They have never come in looking to do African people specifically any good. It was about converting people to that particular system, to that particular way, and um, increasing their numbers for Allah and for Jesus. And whatever the people were doing beforehand wasn't worth an expletive and it needed to be done away with. So whether some African people who interacted with foreigners came up with the divergent ideas that we now call Christianity, that we now call Islam, or whether they are wholly from the outside. Either way, they have not served the populace of the continent. Either way. And and, and so at some point, we got to come home. That was the first coming. Now let's hear how Baba Brothers breaks down the second coming when they when they came in in more uh, recent times. How that breakdown happened. And the second coming, of course, that story is all too familiar because the second coming is with us now. That is, when Christianity came in in the 15th century with the Portuguese and then the Spanish and the English and the French and the Dutch and so forth and so on, uh, and brought in the present of the, the, the 18th and 19th century slave industry and brought in the missionaries. Uh, we experienced the kind of spiritual tyranny that uh, is 
unique in human history. The educational tyranny, the religious despotism that was visible on African people is something that we still suffer from. Severe alienation uh, is the condition of most African people because of this tyranny. Uh, and African people responded as best they could. They took this, this second coming Christianity and tried to Africanize it through the Ethiopian movement that took root here in the Western Hemisphere and also on the continent of Africa. Uh, but whatever the case, we still are suffering from that tyranny, from that intrusion, from that warfare against African spirituality. If you look at what's going on in Uganda today, for example, with that uh, absurd uh, Christian movement that is just slaughtering people out of hand uh, in northern Uganda, that is something that uh, we have to really come to grips with uh, and have to understand that that is a product of African people abandoning African spirituality and being caught up in the tyranny of Western spirituality. And the same is true with the second coming of Islam. Uh, because in the second coming of Islam, the jihad came back into black Africa with that folio and that group who sometimes are celebrated as great heroes. We have to understand that they were bringing a kind of religious tyranny on African people that was designed to stamp out African spirituality. And today we see manifestations of that in the Sudan, where the Sharia is in operation, and we see it emerging again in Nigeria, where the northern Nigerians are staying, uh, issuing the call for the Sharia, and that is resulting in another bloodbath in Nigeria. We have to face the reality. We have to face the fact that this is the terrain that we have to operate in. This is going on today. Warfare against African spirituality. And what we need then, in view of that warfare, is some kind of spiritual, cultural, and religious non-aggression agreement. That in the African world, at this point, while we are trying to get together, while we are trying to restore an African agenda, what we have to do is to decide that we are not going to be aggressive against each other in a spiritual sense. We're going to have to respect each spiritual tradition until we can get things straightened out. We're going to have to stop trying to impose on African people this or that. We're going to have to allow African people to operate from where they are and try to get them to where we all should be. So what I would say, so what I would say to those of us who are still practicing Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, that that's fine. Africanize it as much as you can, but believe me, you still have another step to take. You still have another step to take to get the true African spiritual out. You still have another step to take to get to true African spirituality. You still have another step to take to get the true African spirituality. That's probably the the the, the concession. <laughs> that he felt that he had to um, 
do, um, looking at where the majority of us are. And, again, I think back to um, different discussions that me and Taj have had, and one thing he's always quick to say is, well, come on, you know that folks ain't going to give up. They appreciate Islam overnight, so we got to figure out how to do something. And so when you listen to Dr. Clark, when you listen to Dr. Um, ben and now a contemporary of theirs, a contemporary of theirs, Dr. Jadi Shinsu Jehudi, also known as Dr. Karevi, you hear him also saying that that, uh, that a concession where it's okay, Africanize Judaism, Christianity, Islam, if you're in it as much as you can, but still know that you have another step to go to get to true African spirituality. Again, on a tactical level, I fully understand that. I fully look at the number. I see the numbers. <laughs> um, some 70, 80% of us worldwide are either Christians or Muslims. Um, well, in America, um, I would say the numbers aren't that bad on the continent because the numbers on the continent are a bit trickier because as far as those fools who would want to run up in certain traditional areas and burn down shrines and just try to get rid of all the traditional African implements, those fools are, are the minority. And and we probably need to do something about them before those numbers get bigger, but uh, this is public internet long talk radio, so I ain't going to go into those details, but those fools are in the minority. And then I would say those folks who are 60% or greater fully into their traditional spiritual system uh, and, and are fighting back the incursions of the foreign ideas and thoughts and stuff like that, that's the smaller number, too. I think, from my research, that that larger gap, the, the larger group of numbers of folks on the continent are those who are dealing with, on the outward side, the foreign systems of Christianity and Islam um, to get certain social benefits, to be included in certain social programs, to get medical benefits and medical help and other stuff like that. But when the stuff really, really hits the fan, if somebody's close to death, if they tried all these other ways of getting healed or getting answers and they don't work, then they go back into the quote-unquote bush and, 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 and they deal with the traditions that way. From my research right now, <clears throat> from my experience, that's that larger number. And so I feel the way to move some of those folks over into the camp of going uh, of just solely dealing with the tradition is we 
probably those of us outside the continent, but who have reconnected, we need to start creating programs and systems uh, that would give the benefits to those who are practicing the traditions. Um, right now, you've got folks who are giving the benefits to those that are practicing Christianity and Islam. And so folks are gravitating to that again in the outward appearance so they can get X benefits, whatever those benefits are. Um, I think we need to have a third tier of a benefit structure, which is looking out for the traditional practitioner. And from there, I think you will start seeing folks be like, oh, cool, I don't have to keep up the pretense anymore. Screw it. I'm going to go back to doing my shoulder thing now because I can still get medical care. I can still have uh, my child looked after, whatever those X benefits are. Um, if we can start creating that counter to what the Christians and, the, and Muslims are doing as far as within their social sphere, um, I, 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 I have a strong hope that we can get more folks on the continent to then give up the veneer of the Christian influence and be able to proudly come back home. So, yeah. So, so that second coming, um, the, 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 the pretense of attempting to Africanize wasn't there. Um, as we said, for Islam, it was straight jihad straight killing folks. Um, if it, there, was, there was one um, king that was quoted as saying, and I don't know the, I'm paraphrasing, but I got it from um, Now Valley Contribution Civilizations by uh, Browder. Uh, this king had said, or this imam or somebody else, he was like, if it's, if it's, if it's in the Quran, if if what these folks are doing, this traditional spiritual stuff, if we can already find what they're doing and it's in the Quran, then you can jettison that traditional stuff because it's already in the Quran, the holy book of Allah, blah, blah, blah. If it's not in the Quran, then you can get rid of it because it's heresy and it's out of the will of Allah, blah, blah, blah. So you see that was a cute little catch. <laughs> Catch twenty two. You damned if you do, damned if you don't. That was a way of again get it, just try, attempting to get rid of our tradition. If it's in there, it's already sanctioned, so they don't need this specific version, this this specific regional version of it. Scrap it, get rid of it. If it's not in there, then it's going against what Allah is saying and get rid of it. At the end of the day, you still gonna get rid of the traditional African system. So, so that was part of that second coming mentality, and um, and we know about the Christian piece as well. Um, just I'm I'm slowly but surely trying to put together a book on on walking through. The process, I, I, and, and I like his phraseology for it. I have a different phraseology for it, but the term he used was spiritual tyranny. Again, in, in research that needs to be done, why aren't our people looking at how Caucasoids and Arabs have been tyrannical with their spiritual systems on our way of life? 
Now, I know the answer to it because we haven't looked into our spiritual way of life deep enough to understand what that is. We are trying to make Christian Islam ours. So by not looking at what we were doing before those systems even came and just focusing on trying to make those systems ours, we only see spiritual tyranny if Christians and Muslims are fighting. But, but, but we don't see any spiritual tyranny when Christianity and Islam are fighting what they call the African pagans, what they call the African animals, um, and, and all those negative terms that are still being published in the books and they're still being said in the journal articles to and, and by people today. Animus and pagan and all that sort of stupid stuff. They were the traditional people, period. And we 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 don't even have any type of inkling, any type of feeling, any type of nothing for when Christian violence and Islamic violence with impunity is being done on the folks that don't want anything to do with that when they are fine with dealing with reality in their traditional way. We don't bat an eye. We don't let a tear come out. We identify right now, we are identifying with either the Christians or the Muslims. So if they want to go in and, 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 and destroy traditional spiritual systems of, of our ancestors and our contemporary folks who we are connected to, then it's fine. We'll give a damn because we're identifying with the tyrant spiritually, not here at Africa's Reascension. Africa's Reascension is the voice of the right-minded traditionalists. Africa's reascension is that voice for traditional African spirituality. And we will shout it from the rafters and we will do all that we can to protect and and and, and bolster the numbers of traditional African spirituality in the face of Christianity, Judaism, Islam, atheism, Hebrewism, and all this other BS that we want to be instead of coming to hell back home spiritually. Spiritual, the spiritual tyranny of Christianity and Islam and whoever else you are on notice. There are a growing number of people who are tying the spiritual Peace with the nation building peace, with the reactionization peace. And we understand that you are not ours and you are a threat to our longevity. And there's a growing number of us that will fight you on 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 all levels that we need to fight you to ensure not only the continuance, but the expansion of our traditional African system. Not 
a crazy expansion of taking over the world to taking over the world away from something that's not theirs. An expansion to reawaken the African world to what is theirs and to what is already in them, but your lives for the last four, 500 years, four, five, 3,500 years, have clouded them to it. So, yeah, the systems of Christianity and Islam and everything else, Every that's why I really, that's another reason why I really like Quasi Rodney Hempatakon, because he's down with this too. Christian Islam and everything else that's against the, the traditions, your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. We are coming back home spiritually and we will win this. And and one day in the future, we will look at Christianity and Islam and all these other foreign systems as relics of our confused selves. But at that time, once we're clear, we'll be able to look back on it and be like, wow, we was doing some crazy stuff dealing with uh, Christianity and Islam and whatever else, but we eventually made it back home. And we're glad there were some folks who were shouting out in the wilderness at a time uh, way ahead of their time. We're glad that some folks did that to help lay those foundations so that as the generations who came after them followed in their footsteps, took it to the next level and took it to heights that they themselves, those trailblazers, couldn't even see to the point to where we are now. We are spiritually free. Our nations are back whole. Our families are back healthy. And we are living life and doing things in the way that we choose to do them. And we are not being defined and created and dehumanized by anybody. So now, Dr. Carruthers, by way of analogy, talks about um, some of the sacred that can go on, some of the charlatanism that can go on, some of the missteps, some of the purposeful missteps for those who want to reconnect to um, our spirituality. Um, And he uses the analogy of mirages versus oases. And and, and, and this is very, very instructive. And, And, yeah, let's check it out. So let us then look for the deep wells of African spirituality. Let us look for the deep wells. You can't draw anything from the well unless you find it. 
You've got to find the will before you can draw something from it. Because the whole African universe is on a spiritual and cultural desert. The desiccation of the Sahil, which is growing south, inch by inch, mile by mile every year, is just simply the physical aspect of what is happening to African humanity all over the world. And that is the desiccation of our culture. The desiccation of our spirituality. And we have to recognize that. And in this desert, there are a few oases. And there are thousands of mirages. And when you stand in, in the middle of the desert and you're looking out there, it's difficult to tell the mirage from the oasis. And most of us have been moving towards mirage. Because that's what our leaders are equipped to do is to lead us to the mirage. Because our leaders have been telling us for 300 years that if you become a Catholic, if you become a Methodist, if you become a Presbyterian, if you become a Congregationalist, if you become a Baptist, it's going to be all right. And so we run to those mirages. <laughs> We drench ourselves in that sand and begin to realize there's no water there at all. There's nothing but more sand. And then they tell us, well, you haven't been devout enough. And if you look out there, you see that if you can get there, then it's going to be all right. And so you run out there and you find the same thing. If you get a PhD, get educated. Start using the old words. Start dressing more civilly. Start talking more proper. In other words, our leaders are parroting what their masters are telling them about how to get out of this desert. If you stop dancing, if you stop drumming, if you stop shaking when you experience spirituality, then uh, you will reach your destination. And so the mirage has us captivated. The tyranny of the mirage. The problem with the few oases that I have said is the first place they are hard to discover. It's hard to separate them from the fraudulent oases because there are a lot of brothers and sisters out there who are crooks who got something that looks like an oasis, but it's just as detrimental as uh, the other kind of mirage. It's really a mirage. Those true oases that are out there are scattered and separated. The few communities that hang on to African spirituality and that continue to cultivate are isolated. 
It's difficult to find. They don't have the proper resources in order to truly uh, establish themselves in an intergenerational sense. And so we have a lot of difficulty in this desert with many mirages and a few oases. Man, just because for time concerns, I'm not going to replay that, but because we at least got a few more quick ones to go, we got about 23 minutes left, but there was so much in that, <laughs> so, so much in that. What I'll try to say quickly is he talked about, you know, the mirages versus oases. And the whole backdrop is set in a desert. And he mentioned the phrase desiccation. Desiccation, D-E-S-S-I-C-A-T-I-O-N, the desiccation of African life, the desiccation of African spirituality. And so I knew it had meant, you know, be dehydrated without water and stuff like that. But but I just, you know, did a quick online Definitional search of the term, and and I'm pretty sure he picked this term deliberately because one of the added definition of desiccation is lacking of spirit. So I, I just looked at that right now. I didn't do that ahead of time, but when I saw that while he was talking, I was like, "Whoa, that is deep." Desiccation, lacking of spirit. So then, let's re let's restate that. So the he, he, he's talking. He mentioned the desiccation of African life, the desiccation of African spirit. African spirit lacking its spirit. African life lacking its spirit. That's what we're going through right now. Desiccation, the lacking of spirit within what we're trying to do. I bet I was like, whoa, yeah, he picked that word deliberately. Uh, Outside of it just fitting in with his desert analogy, it is very, very true. African spirituality is so much deeper than this some little um, new age definition that some folks will read from a person who's not even connected to any African spiritual system. They they themselves in their book gives a nebulous new agey sounding definition of what they think African spirituality is. And then us, not knowing any better, not looking any deeper, will then parrot that new agey um, sounding definition and now thinking that we know, capital K-N-O-W, know what African spirituality is. It is so, so, so times 15 much more deeper than than, than what these white folks and, 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 and some black folks can fathom, especially looking at it from the outside, especially if you haven't been studying it on the intellectual level, especially 
it's so much deeper, especially if you haven't been initiated into it. It's so much deeper, especially if you haven't went to and participated in any of the um, rituals that go on, any of the authentic African rituals that go on, uh, where, 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 where you get to feel the presence of the African deities right there, right next to you, maybe even sitting on you. Um, if you don't have either that that intellectual experience and or that experiential relationship with African spirituality, then you do not know what it is. And even those, even the intellectual understanding and the experiential understanding, even if you got both of them, you still don't know because all of that understanding is being um, channeled through human cognition, and spirituality operates outside of the realm of human cognition. So those aspects that we get, we may have a handle on it, but we should never, ever, 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 ever be as arrogant as like the Caucasus voice and think that we can fully know fully understand all aspects of African spirituality. But we damn sure can't even get a grasp on it properly if we're only going to deal with new agey sounding definition. No. Pick up some books by some practitioners in it. Um, pick up some books by um, Barbara Carraday. Pick up some books by um, 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 Mama Pokua. Um, the Khan Protocol, Protocol and, and her other one, Intro to a Khan Religion. Uh, pick up um, After God is Dibia, Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, even pick up After Spirituality on Becoming Ancestors by um, by, by, by Sheshe. Um, I'm steering away from saying picking up um, the books by Mbidi and Magasi because they weren't practitioners. That, that, that's, there's good information in those books, but they weren't practitioners. And they were coming from a Christian base, a, the, a Christian theological base to attempt to reduce the African spiritual systems to fit into a Christian understanding of the world. Uh, and so I will say there are chapters where they're attempting to look at the, the traditional systems on their own. Those would probably be some fairly decent chapters to get a better understanding of what African spirituality is. Uh, but then as you continue on in their books, they, they, they really are trying to make the case to be like, hey, white man, you see, we were doing what y'all was doing. We just called it differently, so stop dehumanizing us. No, we weren't doing what they were doing. What we were doing is different from what y'all were doing, and you're going to stop dehumanizing us just because. <laughs> we don't have to reduce our stuff to fit into your reality to get you to then respect it. If you're not going to respect it on its own merit, leave it the expletive alone. Slow down. That o the, the oasis versus the mirages. Um, 
He said on some levels they're hard to find. No, no, no. It's hard to tell them from the mirages. Um, I feel, I don't know if he would, I'm going to speak just for me, Kamal. I think some of the mirages are, are spiritual temples or houses, spiritual houses, that are just dealing with the spirituality and nothing else. No reaffinization, no nation building, no um, historical, political, cultural, education, none of that. It's all about um, doing the dances and, and bringing some offerings and burning some incense, and that's it. I personally would label them as mirages. Um, that'll get you your individual self so far. I think that may even possibly get your family so far. Uh, but it's not just about you. It's not just about your family. It's about the collective. It's about all of us. Um, and and if you as an individual or your family then are so moved to link up with other folks who are doing the same thing and link up with other folks who are doing the same thing, then that's a bit different. That's okay because you're still linking up and trying to increase the numbers so you can so we can do some stuff um, on a larger scale. But if, if it's all just about you and your personal whatever, whatever, whatnot, then that's a mirage. I feel. I'm not necessarily sure um, that that's what Baba Corona was saying in that, so I'm adding in my own little piece there. But he also says that um, the oases um, are isolated. They're hard to find. They're scattered. Um, They don't have the resources to um, get a larger base. And, and I would say, and I've shared it on, on a number of occasions, two true OECs that I have run into on this journey. And um, I'm lightly <laughs> affiliated with one here in D.C., then there's also another one in Philly. Um, and there may be a few others that are out there that I, I, I'm just not aware of, but I, I, I can definitely attest to those two. Uh, one dealing with the Akan system and the other one dealing with here, but the system of E5. But those are definitely true oases um, in using our spirituality as a foundational point for our larger liberation effort. Um, and, and, yeah, and he was speaking on how it's just that the, the mirages are more numerous and and you you just have to be clear in in what you're looking for and and you really have to spend some time at your personal shrine or at your family um jingili or forimuka um try to get away from the word shrine, but you get what I'm saying um to be able to ask those spirits. Personal spirits or you know some higher spirits to guide you and lead you to an oasis and away from the mirages. And so, 
Yeah, we got enough time. So right now, oh no, we don't. No, wait, here it is. So he, he so now he gives us a few oases, some clear models that we should look at for success. And so we have to look around into our our library, into our uh, heritage, into our historical journey to see whether there are some models that we can start looking at. And I would suggest three models that will give us something. They are not the only ones, there are many more, but three models. Uh, one is the Haitian Revolution. The Haitian Revolution is a model that we can look at. Starting with Bookman's Prayer that I'm going to come back to toward the end of my talk. Bookman's Prayer, which really told us that we have to come back home. In order to begin a revolution, you have to come back home. That's the beginning. That is the foundation. You have to come back home. Because we have fought many, many battles. You know? We have established many campaigns. We have done a lot of sweat, a lot of crime, and a lot of bleeding. Over the centuries, we have fought this and that and the other. But when you think about it, almost every time we were fighting the wrong war, giving up our lives in the wrong war, the Civil War, it looked like a good war for us to get involved in, but when it was over, you know, World War I, a lot of, my daddy tells me that a lot of young men and women were very enthusiastic about that. If we get involved in this war, it's going to be better. If they came back to strange truth. So we fought many, many wars and many battles. It's not a matter of courage. It's not a matter of energy. We put in the energy and all that kind of stuff. But uh, somehow or another, we've been fighting the wrong wars all the time. And so the Haitian Revolution then comes to us as a as a a deep way that we can get something out of it. Because it started with the proclamation that we must return to the African spirituality. And throughout that revolution, the place of Bodun was promised. The Bodun of the of the forest of Haiti. The Bodoons of the so-called Maroons, the free and independent community, constantly fed and kept alive that spirit of freedom that finally resulted in the first revolution against slavery in the history of humanity and the most important and significant military event in the history of the modern world. Although nobody knows that because the European intellectuals have decided to hide the significance of that event from us. And then when Gasoline finally pushed the French and the English and the Spaniards off the island and proclaimed independence, he inserted in the Constitution many things that we could go through, but one thing for, in this context is very important, 
and that is freedom of religion. Now, it sounds as though freedom of religion is nothing but a repetition of what the French and the Americans have done. But what Desiree meant by freedom of religion is to take away the stigma for Vaudoum. What he wanted to make certain was that the Haitian people were not forbidden from continuing to practice Vaudoum. That's why they say, even 200 years later, that even though 90% of the Haitians are Catholic, 100% practice Vaudoum. Uh, and even though the Haitian Revolution finally was uh, sort of truncated because of the, um, the playing around of various leaders, uh, nonetheless, that is a powerful model for us to look at. The revolution was so tied to African spirituality that that explains the miracle. How did these 500,000 African people with nothing but grapes and holes how did they beat Napoleon's best army? Napoleon had the most efficient army in the world at that time, and they defeated his army. How did they do it? African spirituality. I'm going to just run through these other two models so we can get all three of the models in the record for this one, and then we'll close out and um, get back to part two of this, the continuation of this the next week. Here is the second model to traditional African spiritual success. The second model, of course, we've already talked about, and that's Kim. Um, that the, the the thing that kept Kimmy going for four thousand is the Nile Valley civilization going for five thousand, four thousand years is the ability of African spirituality to knit African peoples together. Uh, the foundation of that spiritual system in the Nile Valley was a common principle of African spirituality and the realization that in order for African spirituality to work in the context of the world as it was developing in those years was to develop an urban and cosmopolitan orientation for African spirituality. And I'll say a few things about that uh, in a few minutes. Uh, thus what you had was the evolution of a synthetic multi-ethnic nation, a true African Union uh, that emphasized a respect for local divinities, local religious groups, lo local, uh, to put it in, in, in the terms of the literature expressing the local God. A profound respect. Every city, every community had its own uh, perspective on African spirituality. And the system was able to coordinate all of that and keep all of those people together without falling out with each other and without starting spiritual warfare. That was one of the great contributions of Kimmy that we often overlook. How can you keep all of those millions of African people who have different perspectives on spirituality with the same principles However, how do you keep them from falling apart? The third model is something that Kwame Nkrumah uh, pointed out in his book, Consciousness. I have often criticized uh, Brother Nkrumah 
even though I have a profound respect for his commitment and the role that he has played in African liberation, I have often criticized him, and I think my, critici my criticism of him, where I criticize him, is valid even now. And that is, when he says, seek ye first the political kingdom, and everything will be added unto you. I disagree with that. I think that seek ye first the spiritual kingdom, and everything will be added to you. But there's something that M. Crummer did point out uh, in this, uh, what is called a philosophical work, consciousness, that is important. He said, let us recognize the fact that in Africa you have three strands in one place, and then another place he calls them three features, and another place he calls them three segments. Uh, traditional African culture Islam and Christianity. We have to recognize that African people are divided along those cultural bases. But he didn't go as far as Adam and Zua did, who took this idea and just simply made it a bold idea by calling it African triple heritage. If you remember uh, when Adam and Zua presented his, uh, his television series on Africa. He tried to elevate this or to, to really uh, uh, assert that each one of these were authentic African traditions. But what Nkrumah pointed out is that while we recognize that the African peoples are divided among those three traditions, so to speak, that only one of them is truly authentically African, and that is the African tradition, and that in resolving those differences and creating a true African Union, the African spirituality is going to have to prevail. That's something that Alan Zua didn't really uh, point out because he has an interest in ignoring that. Uh, so if we look at those three models, I think we have something we can work with. So next week we will pick up where we left off here and then give the conclusion. We'll walk through the rest of the speech and hopefully I won't run my mouth so much so we'll be able to get through it all. Um, so yeah, B.B. Fahodier, Total African Liberation, Yabedi Inconim, we will be victorious. Please go back to July 17th, African Deep Well, uh, Deep Well of African Culture and Spirituality to hear the entire uncut lecture. With us. The way the system of European control works is that you have to accept a concept of reality which makes them superior. If you deny that, their thing will not work, and they will lose their control. <laughs>